Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast. And I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. What's up, everybody? Wonder how, uh, how, uh, uh anybody remember that commercial? That was, uh, I'm probably dating myself with the What's up commercial from uh, probably about 20 years ago. I'm an, I'm an old guy in case you haven't figured that out. Well, not that old. I'm in my middle age. But but makes me wonder how do other people in other countries say what's up? Do they even do things like that? Do they do they uh, say in Spanish, get that? Or, or maybe in German, we guys. Do, do they do that? Did I, did I get that German right? I'm not quite sure. Speaking of Germany... Turns out I've got a lot of downloads coming from Deutschland. I'm very excited about that. Makes me wonder, and, and pardon me for being the ignorant American here. I am a real American. But do do a lot of people speak English in Germany? I, I really have uh I've got no idea because I've the only countries I've been to out of the United States is places I can get to by a boat, uh with just my, my birth certificate, so that would Really only be, let's see, Nassau and Mexico and Grand Cayman. Grand Cayman's pretty cool if you've never been there. Uh, Mexico, uh, if you get outside of the tourist area, you, you, you're not going to enjoy yourself very much. But Grand Cayman, you get, the, the entire area is just beautiful. And if you ever decide, any of you people from overseas decide to go to, to the Caribbean or Caribbean or whatever you want to call it, go out, go out to Grand Cayman. Highly recommend it. There's plenty of... Safe places over there, to say the least. So, what's up, everybody? It is President's Day for us U.S. Americans. And I got a day off tomorrow, which is tomorrow is Monday. I'm recording this on a Sunday. Um, President's Day for us is a celebration of um, presidents, I guess. Usually in the United States, a lot of uh, auto dealerships try and give you really good deals to buy a brand new car. But I'm very happy with my Mazda 3. Thank you very much. I've had that car for about eight years now. And uh, it's been giving me some issues lately. But but overall, it, it gets me to and from work. And I'm for myself, I'm a firm believer that if you don't have if you can avoid a car payment, you by all means, you should do that on depreciating assets. Hey, look at this. This is this is the Judo Dave Roman money hour uh, brought to you by nobody sponsored by nobody. But um so yeah, so I've had a pretty good week. I had a, a a pretty good week of training. My sons were able to come to the dojo this past Friday, and and again they did really well. I'm I'm very proud of them. It was a small group, and so it was you know maybe about uh, seven of us total, and and my two of them were my sons, and and we were practicing this makikomi uh, type throw. You could call it maybe harai makikomi. And they did really well. I gotta say, they're they're both very coachable, and they both give an effort whenever they come to the dojo. Now it's hard. Again, I'm I'm a uh, well, I'm married now, but but you know, I'm a divorced. Uh, I divorced their mother a long time ago, and and uh, so I only get to see them maybe every other week or so. Um, but but uh, when we have when or when I have them, we we try and do things over the weekend, and you know, I had breakfast with each of them you know, one day yesterday, one day today, and, and, um, 
it's been a lot of fun. I really enjoy having them here, but but um, I love having them on the mats. They're they're pretty enthusiastic about it. My older son, maybe not so much before getting into class, but once he actually steps on the mat, he he's all business and he he does really well and he's very coachable. And I I just thought they did a they had a, a an excellent class. Um, so this tomorrow I'm going to be running the class on my own. So. So that'll be interesting. It's not an opportunity I've had very often, but it'll give me an opportunity to, to to run the class in a way that I prefer to run things, not that I want to be my own boss, so to say, or or not that I I have a more right way. I don't I don't really believe that, but but I want to do things a little bit differently with the kids. Um maybe work on some more basics that I I feel that all judo students should be you know, should really hammer home, especially, especially students that are Yonkyu and, and, and below, you know, white belts, yellow belts, United States, Yonkyu would be green belts. It's always good to practice Ukemi and, and take that, um, take that practice very seriously. And I, and I see sometimes when I get experienced kids coming into the club that their Ukemi isn't all that great because it's just, I I don't know. I think for a lot of those kids that they just think, ah, it's, it's just, you know, you just land and fall and just try not to hurt yourself. But but I'm I'm a firm believer in ukemi practice. I think the the more that you can take away the fear of falling from kids and adults, uh the easier judo practice will be and the more enthusiastic uh students will be in attacking during rondori because you know, when it comes to Rondori, people who aren't attacking as often or just standing out there with really stiff arms, at the end of the day, it's my opinion that they're just af- afraid to fall. And, you know, maybe in some clubs that fear is legitimate because the mats aren't very good. But, you know, if you have a pretty good mat space, I think it's important for all of you who are beginners or, or even intermediate players to take your ukemi very seriously and during Rondori, you know, unless you're preparing for, for a tournament or something like that, you know, take the falls during Rondori. Don't spin out. I, I, I think that's that's silliness, to be honest with you. In case you're not aware, we got another judo tournament coming up next week. It's the Dusseldorf Grand Prix. Um, it, it's going to be happening a, a little bit longer than the last tournament in Paris. It's going to be between February 24th and 26th. Um, now... I'm going to have another extremely busy weekend next weekend. I'm going to this, this disco party and there'll be lots of dancing, lots of laughs, probably lots of alcohol. Whoops, did I say that? Um, so I'm going to probably catch, I'm only going to catch the quarterfinals and up. I'm sure I'm going to miss a lot of great throws in, in the early rounds and in the repercharge, but I'm more interested in in the quarterfinals and up. I I try to watch as much as the Paris Grand Slam as possible to get an idea of how the rules are impacting all the athletes as a whole. And and I still have some opinions on that. I'm I'm going to get to some of the statistics that that I had to to put together because uh, judobase.org, which normally does a great job with its statistics, uh, statistics did not have official statistics in terms of how many Wazari versus how many Ippon versus how many Hansukumaki. They didn't get all that. But you know what? I'm here for you. And I compiled that information. Hopefully, I did the math correctly. 
So I'm going to report on that in a second. But next weekend's the Dusseldorf Grand Prix. And um, again, there's going to be a lot of no-shows for men who won the gold medal in, in, in Rio. So the only the only person who won a gold medal that's going to be showing up in Dusseldorf is Lucas Kerplick. Um, hopefully I got that name right. Um, he's going to be competing, but he's moving up a weight division. He's going to be in the under, I'm sorry. He's going to be in the over 100 kilogram category. So I'm interested to see how, how the, uh, this Olympian will be performing and how he'll perform in, in a moved up weight division. It's a division that's, that I feel is pretty stacked and there's a lot of talent there. Um, who knows? I, I, I'm curious to see if he, how much weight he's moved up compared to how he was in, in the under 100 kilo division. Did he put on 30 pounds of muscle? Did he just get really fat? I, I have no idea. Um, so I'll be interested to see, you know, how he performs and, and how his moving up in weight will translate into success or, or failure. It's a different division. It's a different approach. I'm sure he and his coach have been working on a pretty good strategy to, to fight his competitors. But when you get out there, you just never know how it's going to go. So I'll be interested to see that. Um, I'm really looking forward to the tournament. Um, I'm curious to see how the statistics in this tournament will compare to how they went in Paris. Now, I put together some statistics and I don't know if they are correct. I did the best I could with the information that was available to me on judobase.org. So basically, I had to scan through each and every single match and see if see who won and how did they win. So, I'm going to break this down a little bit and you know, maybe you guys will find this of interest, maybe you won't, but I'm going to make a point about this once I get through this. So, if if the maths are correct, is maths correct? I know in Britain they say uh, maths with uh, plural, but well, if my math is correct, there were 350 total contests, and out of that 350, 200 of those contests were won by Ipon. Hey, that's that's pretty good, right? 57% of victory of all the matches were decided by Ipon. That's great, right? Um, let's pump the brakes there, buddy, because. I have some broken down statistics that I think some of you may find interesting. Um, so let's see here. So out of all the matches, there were 139 matches won by a single Ipon and no Wazari. But out of those 139 matches, 52 of those were Han Sokumaki wins. There were 47 matches that ended with one Ipon and one Wazari. And out of that group, there were 47. Three of those were Han Sokumaki wins. There were 10 matches that were won with uh, one Ipon and two Wazari. And those were, there were no Han Sokumaki wins there. And let's see, there were three matches that were won by one Ipon and three Wazari, and the, out of those three, one of those was a Han Sokumaki win, and one match with one Ipon and four Wazari, and they, no, there were no uh, Han Sokumaki wins there. So here's the here's the interesting thing, is that out of those 200 contests decided by Ipon, 59 of those 
were Han Sokumaki wins, which leaves you with 141 matches that were just decided by Ippon without any Han Sokumaki being counted toward that. So when you consider that to the 350 total contests, only 40% of the total matches were won by Ippon. I don't think that's very good in my opinion. Now, I want to get into some of the Wazari statistics that you also may find interesting. So I'm going to break that down. So let's take a look here. Uh, let's see, 118. So out of out of the 350 total contests, 118 of those contests were decided by one Wazari. Uh, 27 contests were decided by two Wazari. Two contests were decided by uh, were won by by a three Wazari score, and three contests were won by a four Wazari score. There was not a contest out there where there were um, more than four Wazari in any given match. So this is going to go to my point that I hate that they got rid of Wazari Awaseti Ipon. So we've got a total of five matches that where where there was no Ipon but ended with more than two Wazari, just just five. And there's a total of 14 matches where there was an Ipon score in the match, but but there but the person who won also happened to have uh more than uh two or more Wazari. So that's 14 there. So by my calculation, again, if I did the math correctly here, if you were to include every single contest that had two Wazari or more, and you and you had uh, uh, Wazari Awaseti Ipon in those matches, you would have a total. Now, now I'm not talking about the Hansoku Maki wins either. You would have a total of 62% of the matches winning by Ipon uh, if you included. Wazari Awaseti Ipon, and that's even if you remove all the matches won by Hansokumaki. So I don't see the benefit in having this endless Wazari uh, score because we're not seeing matches that have that we're not seeing many matches that have more than than two Wazari. The only the only thing that that does is I I don't know it it makes the match go longer than it really needs to be, in my opinion. I just, I don't think it's it's a good way to go about this. Uh, if And I remember during the, the referee and coaching seminar in the beginning of the year, they were saying that they wanted to change these rules to generate more Epon wins, and that's clearly not happening. Now, to the IJFs, uh, in defense of the IJF and in defense of the athletes, this was the first major tournament of the year that had these new rules implemented. Now, granted, there was the there was the Open in in, in Tunis, and there have been other contests in, since that time. So it's it's not the very first time these athletes have been exposed to these rules. But this was the first major event of the year, and so I'm sure there was still some adjusting that the athletes were doing. But I just don't think that come the end of the world championships that it's a good idea to continue with having Wazari Awaseti Ipon be no more. Now, I, I said this before, I'll say it again. I would prefer to see the standard of Wazari raised 
and not include scores of Yuko and and keep Wazari Awaseti Ipon. And I'm not complaining about how the Grand Slam went. I thought it was a very entertaining tournament from top to bottom. Some of the some of the you know the matches at, at, at in the finals were were the worst match ever. But but as a whole, I thought the tournament was great. I've managed to catch up on some of the highlights of some of the matches that I did not see in the earlier rounds, and there were some fantastic Ipon. And it was an exciting tournament. I, I would say it was almost as good from an entertainment value as the Olympics. As far that and that's just me talking. I, I have no ratings to back that up. I, I don't know. I'm still waiting for an explanation what explanation on what the most social event in IJF history is. What so is uh, I don't know, is Dusseldorf not going to be as social? I, I don't I still don't know what that means. You know what? I think I'm gonna since my buddy in the IJF, Marius Visor, I think I might just email him again and see what the heck he was talking about, or or somebody in the IJF. But um, but I, I might I might shoot them an email to find out what were you guys talking about because I did not see it. So anyway, I thought these statistics were pretty interesting. I think they are accurate. They did not, judobase.org did not officially compile these statistics. They are just what I went through match by match and, and just to see what what those numbers may look like. And I'm not impressed, to be honest. I mean, they were, there were a lot of Han Sokumaki in this tournament. And hopefully the, the athletes will adjust. I'm going to keep these statistics and compare them to Dusseldorf to see how that may look. Um, in, in I'll, I'll probably have that information in two weeks. I'll, I'll do my very best to compile what I can compile from the Dusseldorf tournament. It's a, it's a, there'll be less athletes showing up to this tournament. So th- there won't be as much data for me to try and sift through, but, but uh, I'll be sure to get that data and, and maybe keep a running log or some kind of Excel spreadsheet. Um, um, noting the high-level information uh, about these tournaments. So I'm interested in that kind of stuff. I'm interested to see if they're going to make changes throughout the, well, at the end of the World Championships, if this data is going to point toward any changes at the end of the year. That's I'm, I'm kind of nerdy that way. I, I'm, I'm interested in that kind of stuff. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. So... The official Judo Chop Suey podcast page on Facebook. I encourage all of you to find me and, and like the page and follow me and, and all that good stuff. So I received a message from a fellow in Serbia, which, again, I've said this before. I'm really amazed at the outreach that this podcast is. is, is there's so many different downloads from, from so many different places in the world and and this fellow from Serbia, I'm I'm very grateful for that that he's listening in, and and he sent me a message, so I'd like to read that for you. Um, says here now I'll keep his name anonymous because I I, I don't know I, I I creeped on his Facebook page, but he wrote to me, so I can click on that little view profile link and and I can find out. But I don't want a bunch of other strangers <laughs> looking looking uh, at his page and you know harassing him or something like that. So. I'll read the message that he sent to me. I am a young judo coach. I started working as a trainer in 
2016 after graduation. I'm a Master of Judo, second dan, Master Professor, Master Professor of Physical educa Education and Sport. I've trained Judo for 14 years. As a coach at the club, I work with the youngest group, and in parentheses, children aged 5 to 8 years old, and the oldest group, also in parentheses, Judo juniors and older. Um, okay, as a coach, I work with the youngest group and the oldest group. In our club, the ratio of male to female team members is 85% to 15%. It is thought that judo is a men's sport. It would be interesting to make a podcast about it. I think it's a similar situation in your club. Greetings. And greetings and salutations to you, anonymous emailer from Serbia. I really appreciate you listening to the podcast. I'm very grateful uh, that you took the time to write to me, and I thank you very much. So... I would like to talk about women in judo and some of the issues. Now, it's silly that as a man, I'm writing about or I'm going to be talking about this uh, women in, in training in judo. But I can tell, I obviously, I've never been a woman one day in my life. But I think I could speak a little bit about this because I've had main, many training partners who, who are women. And I've said this before, my favorite training partner of all time just happens to be a woman. And she used to be a high-level uh, competitor in the United States. Now, whether I was one of her favorite training partners, um, I highly doubt that because it, I, I'll tell the story in, in a bit. But she was my favorite training partner to work with and and. I haven't trained with her in judo in, in, in quite a long time. The last time I saw her was, was a few months ago. Um, unfortunately, it was at uh, uh, the, the funeral of, of, uh, of our judo coach, which actually the judo coach was her father. So, yeah, I was, I'm very close to that family. And, and I spent many years training with her and under her father's uh, tutelage. The greatest progress and strides that I ever made in judo was because of her. And it and the reason being is that my judo coach at the time would would very much get on me about using technique when doing rondori with her because when I first got to their club, I, I was I was a mess in terms of judo. I mean I was I was just a sankyu, but my judo was just not very good. It was nowhere where it where he wanted me to be so it took him probably about it took really all of them probably about four or five months to break me down of the bad habits that I had uh, picked up at my very first club um, and, and I'm not slamming my first club it's just there was a certain culture at that club that it's it's hard to describe and I'm sure it's a culture that's similar to other places and it, it it's not a bad thing because I I'm grateful for those experiences but it because of the way that club was ran and how a lot of people did run Dory, there was a lot of big guys there and a lot of people did run Dory. There were just a lot of principles that were overlooked for beginners and, and inter intermediate players like myself because we were just so busy, just basically fighting for our lives during Rondori. It was never really broken down into 
how we should move, how to create opportunities and stuff. It was just, it was just fight and go. And it was just, it was just a pretty wild time. And, and a lot of people went, during my time there were, got hurt. So I brought a lot of that into this new club when I decided to work with, with um, this particular family and, and this small club. So it took me several months to break down uh, some of the ways that I trained and you know what's interesting, and I'll, I'll link this this Facebook. Uh, I'm sorry, I'll link this YouTube video um, in my show notes. But there is a video that I captured. This was taken about nine years ago, where I was practicing Ipon Seanagi with her, and you know I was doing a really terrible job with it. And my coach had stopped me and explained. He he helped me. Uh, he explained something that that really helped my Seanagi. In about an instant, it, it, it improved it dramatically. In in, in about in really after a suggestion, it looked a lot better than what I was doing in the video. But I was so oblivious to throwing her or how I was throwing her that I really slammed her pretty good. And in the video, you could see her kind of give a look to her dad, who's off camera. And it was it was it's really funny when I look back at it now. But but. At the time, I was completely oblivious to how I was throwing her as a training partner. And I'm not saying that at the time I should have thrown her around with, with kid gloves and such. But I was I should have been more mindful of how I was training with her at the time. And, and I remember, you know, my, my coach used to used to tell me. You know, a lot of times we would go out for, for dinner after practice or, or grab a beer after practice. And, and it was, you know, we just have a good time. And, you know, there were times where he'd, he'd tell me, boy, you know, uh, she's she's saying this and that lately about, you know, how you've been training and stuff. And, I, and I, I'd be I feel so guilty. I was like, oh, man, this that's really terrible. So, you know, he would say things like, you know, it was it was hard for her to train with me at times because I was doing the. A, the quote-unquote man thing that's exactly what what um what he had told me and and it took me probably about like four or five months to get over the so-called man thing stop worrying about falls and and start attacking in a way in a in a technical way so there was there came a time just through constant falls and constant practice and constant randori where I finally got good and I finally got to a point where I could train with her in a in a way that was beneficial for both of us and I think men in general from my observations not only do not know how to randori with with certain women or whether it be beginner women or or more advanced women but some of them are, are are very obnoxious about it and they'll go out of their way to either avoid training with them or or really putting them through the floor. I've seen this. I mean, you know, it's it's um like some guys will either refuse to train or go really hard or just train in a way that really patronizes the the female judoka and I and I think that's completely wrong and I I think that's just that's just bogus and it, and that should never ever happen on a judo mat and i and i think instructors need to have a a better handle on how to 
not only train women, but how to allow their female uh, training partners and, and female students how they are treated by the men in the club. And, and that has to be taught because, you know, I when I, at my current club, now, all right, back up a bit. I think it's different with with young girls um, because a lot of times when, when I mean young girls, I'm talking about between the ages of, let's say, 5 through 12. Well, a lot of between those ages, boys and girls, unless there's a big weight difference, one is not really stronger than the other or necessarily faster than the other because uh, boys haven't grown up growing up in they haven't grown up into their their male bodies so so they they a lot of times those rondori battles can be can be even but i see it even in my own club i got this this one like 11 year old kid who's who's maybe like you know 90 pounds or something and then there's i've got this really skilled uh blue belt at the club who's maybe about you know 75 pounds maybe and and this kid refuses to take a fall for her at all. I mean, and he just, he goes balls, you know, balls to the wall with her. And if you don't, if you're out of the United States, that that's just a figure of speech for going really, really, really hard in, in a way that is just unacceptable, basically going 100%. And he'll do things in order to not perceive to lose. He will do things. He will cheat. Like he'll, he'll pinch her. Like not not in a, I mean he'll pinch her arms or 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 try and and bend her fingers in a weird way so that she doesn't throw him and stuff like that. It's it's been really a problem, and I I've seen those kind of attitudes in other clubs toward women, and you know I I think guys could really benefit from doing rondori with with people who are you know either either uh, you know lighter than them or or other women because if you can approach your rondori in a way where you're not using your strength that you're really trying to do things with proper timing and such now look when you actually execute a throw all of the moving parts in your body you know if you're 250 pounds of muscle and you do a tayatoshi that's 250 even if with the perfect timing that's still 250 pounds of muscle moving in 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 unison so it's going to be a strong throw but i think it's 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 an approach that you you guys should really hold up you know and you know pull on the sleeve if they've executed a throw really it this is not exclusive to women doing rondori with men i think it should be that way all the time when i do rondori with guys who are less skilled or, or with anybody, I'm not looking to put them through the mat. I, I'm I'm looking to skillfully throw anybody that I do rondori with. And the and the reason why I look to do this is because of all the years I spent training with, you know, I'll, I'll just I won't use her name, but my favorite tr- uh, training partner of all time, because it, it took once I figured out how to train with her properly, my ability just my skill set and ability just took off like a, like a rocket and things started making a lot of sense in judo and and I you know um you know my coach and and his daughter and and his son would come every once in a while I really attribute 
my progress in judo because of because of them them and look i've had i've had hundreds of training partners through through all the 11 years but but those three individuals and then um and then there's another couple that that i really had a great time with and um not sure if i should use his name he knows who i'm talking about he's got a he's got a teenage son now and they're all over at Ebor City Jiu-Jitsu. So they were among my favorite training partners as well. The, really, the, those five individuals. And, and his wife got into judo. And by the, time, by the time that she was, she came to our club, she was a brown belt. And, you know, she actually, because she went to other clubs with other guys where she is essentially fighting for her life, a lot of times when... I would do Rondori with her. It was it was almost reminiscing back to when I came from my first club, and just she would just be all over the place, and yeah, she'd kick you in the shins, and and you know you'd get hit in the face sometimes, and we all knew she she was just trying her best, but it took a while for her to break break away from some of those habits, and it took her a while to understand that hey, when I do Rondori with you. I'm not looking to put you through the floor. I'm not going to be like those other guys that just, you know, that just do some kind of maki call me and roll over your face and, and, and just, I'm not going to be that guy. So what I would tell her all the time, look, when you train with me, just, just keep attacking. I'm going to take falls. I tell her all the time, I will take your fall. I will take the falls. I'm not going to flop for you, but if you get me, I'm going to take the fall. I'm not going to take that achievement away from you and over time over a long time but she got really good and the last time I did Rondori with her was probably about probably about a year ago maybe maybe a year and three months and I thought her judo was fantastic I and and she's just been doing jujitsu the entire time but it was almost like all the months that she spent in jujitsu it got her to to relax in a way where she felt confident about applying the the approach, the jujitsu approach to her stand up in judo, and she was perfect. The last time I did Rondori with her, she was she was perfect. I thought her judo was so much better. I thought her technique was fantastic, and I mean, the same goes with uh, with her husband. And you know, I'm gonna give you a call anonymous person and find out if it's okay that if I use your name in the future podcast, but I think you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about you. If you're wondering, I'm talking about you, buddy, but you know that they, they, I love training with them. I miss training with them there. You know, when I was talking about, uh, how jujitsu is overtaking judo in terms of popularity in the United States, they were among the people that I was thinking about, of training partners that I have lost over the years to jujitsu. And again, I'm not, I don't blame jujitsu for that. I, I blame uh, judo and maybe judo's lack of focus on adults in the United States or judo being too rigid in the United States in terms of promotions and such. Now, when I talk about judo promotions being too rigid. I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing. I'm not saying that the standards should be very high for Shodan and up. That's that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm what I'm specifically talking about is the ability for coaches to promote their students to Shodan 
without all the red tape involved. That's what I mean by too rigid. I'm not talking about technical mastery or the ability to demonstrate a large number of techniques or kata or whatever the case may be. So I am strictly talking about the red tape involved in, in a coach or a sensei promoting one of their own students. You know, speaking of which, I wasn't sure if I was going to talk about this, but and I and I don't like using Reddit as fodder for podcasts. A lot of the topics that I talk about, they're topics that I want to talk about. And I don't really I don't troll other forums to find juicy stuff to talk about. But there is a story and this story is one of those stories that made me want to flip the desk, flip the table in anger and frustration and, and take the chair and, and smash it through the window. That's how frustrated I got when I read this story uh, put out by a, a, a poster. And I'll use his his handle on here, Bozo78. He's out, in, uh, he's out in Australia land where they eat a lot of shrimp on the barbie, apparently. Let's put another shrimp on the barbie. And they love Crocodile Dundee. I don't know if any of that's true, but in the United States, we have three images of Australians. They eat shri- They eat a lot of shrimp, they cook it on a barbecue, they drink Foster's beer, and they like boomerangs, I guess. That's our image of Australia, and, and Crocodile Dundee's a national treasure. Nice. That's what we think of Australians. Um, And currently, a lot of the toughest actors in Hollywood are happen to be Australian. So like Hugh Jackman and um, and uh, what's that other fellow who's one of my favorite actors of all time. And now I can't remember who who he is. Uh, Not Hugh Jackman. Um, He was in A Beautiful Mind. He was in Gladiator. Russell Crowe, there it is. All right, Russell Crowe. You, you, those two guys are are tough as nails, as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, oh yeah, and there's the Wiggles too. Hot potato, hot potato, hot potato, hot potato. So where was I going with this? Uh, oh yeah, I was talking about judo's, you know, before judo's uh, lack of involvement with adults and judo's uh, rigid promotion guidelines. Well, apparently this is an issue in the land of Oz because this fellow is unable to do judo for the time being and maybe for the rest of his life. And he's somebody who has been a a judoka for about 15 years. And he's been training, he's been a brown belt for for a very long time, an EQ, I mean, not, not just a regular old brown belt, but an EQ. So, turns out that in order for him to be promoted to shodan, which... To me, I've said this before, Shodan is a low Don rank. It is not mastery by any means. And I know anybody who's a, a Don rank holder understands that. But but sometimes beginners can get caught up in, ooh, he's a black belt. Well, you know, a Shodan is ba- basically just an advanced student. And me being a Shodan for the past six years, I am definitely a student and not much more than that. I'm an I'm a I assist and instruct, but I'm really a student who teaches and helps out. So I'm still a student. But this fellow is, in order for him to get promoted under his federation in Australia, he needs a bunch of competition points. Competitions against 
younger guys against quote unquote seniors and not masters. It's it's his impression that masters don't count. Well, there's no way for him to get the points that he needs to get showed on because he has to fight young guys. And right now he's somebody who's approaching his 40s if he's not there already with a bad ACL injury and it's his third one I believe. So you know, in this post that he makes, he he actually says he's probably going to end up in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which look, that's great for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu's growth, don't get me wrong, but here is another situation not happening in the United States where competition is the focus on promotions and it's I I just think there is an imbalance in what is important in judo when it comes to promotions and such because and I think Shi'ai is important but Shi'ai can happen anywhere but I really believe that there has to be a path for judoka to take in order to be promoted and to get better in judo because look I I said this in, in a response in that particular reddit topic in the western world whatever you want to define as the quote-unquote West. We care about recognition. We care about promotion. We care about having validation that all the hard work that we've put in throughout our lives or throughout a or for a particular task wasn't all for nothing. And for this fellow, and really for anybody who starts judo and sticks with it for a long time, we all know that Shodan is not the ultimate step. It's just a beginning step. That's why show first and that and Japanese. It's important. And I just don't understand why judo federations around the world stonewall their adult judoka who are who started judo late in life. They stonewall them to prevent them from going to to uh to Shodan. And it's it's a beginner it's it's a relatively beginner rank in terms of don rank. So I don't understand why so many different federations have these rigid guidelines to promote where you know only somebody who's a fourth degree or or higher can promote you, or you have to you have to have a hundred competition points, or if you if you want to be promoted to to Shodan without competing, you've got to volunteer at X number of events and you can only earn so many points, volunteer points uh, within the course of one year. So I have no doubt that this fellow has legitimate judo skill. He's probably better than me. He's probably better than a lot of Shodan and Nidan and Sandan that are out there in the judo world. And here he is in a situation where he's essentially getting stonewalled for being an adult. That for and and his there's a ceiling placed above him because of his injury. And no matter how much volunteering that he does at his club, according to the I think they call the JFA guidelines, there are things that he must do to attain showdown. And in terms of don ranks, I mean, yeah. Shodan is a, is a big deal to get promoted to Shodan. I mean, it was a big deal for me. It's a big deal for everybody else. But look, let's not pretend that this is like, you know, getting the red and white, you know, getting getting Rokudan or something. 
you know, for for high ranks, I can understand a need to, you know, write books and run tournaments and be a volunteer and, and constantly travel to this and that and hold seminars and things like that. Now, I think the United States, there the system is very good. There is a there is a path to get to Shodan and higher ranks without competing. It takes longer, but there is a path in place. And my only issue with how things are done in the United States is that I think there needs to be a way for club instructors to promote their own students who they have evaluated uh, without going through all the red tape. I mean, I think the guidelines for USA Judo are pretty good. Um, but I just think that you know certain instructors should be able to promote at their discretion um, without having to go through a bunch of red tape. And I and I used the example of jujitsu before. If if a a, a person like uh, you know Marcelo Garcia wants to promote one of his students to black belt, he can do that, and it's not going to be questioned by anybody else. And if it is, that person can just call up Marcelo and be like, hey. This guy's come into my club. He's saying that you gave him a black belt. Is that true? And they say, you know, he says, yes, it's true. And everybody goes on their merry way. He gets to be a black belt without all of this red tape on the state governing body and the national governing body approving all of this stuff and everything. So I think it should be that way in the United States. And I, I think it should be that way around the world, in my opinion. And it's just, it was really a sad story that I saw on Reddit that, you know, not only is he most likely not going to be able to get his show on, but he's going to move on to jujitsu, where these type of red tape type stuff he can get promoted to, to blue belt if he's not a blue belt already, purple belt, brown belt, and you know if he gets so skilled he can get the black belt despite his injury. There, there is that path is not shut, and he can continue learning. And you know, you can sit here and say, well. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is just Judo. Well, okay, great. That's fine. But you know what? They have a system in place. It's not perfect, but they have a system in place where he can still progress without all the red tape. So Bozo78, very sorry for your injury. I understand, you know, as you get older, you have to think about these things. You have to think about the long-term picture. So I encourage you to get better. You know, I'm going to send the healing vibes uh, all the way from the United States, from sunny Florida, and I hope you get better. And I hope that uh, you're able to continue your training in whatever path you choose to do. But, you know, I feel your pain. I feel your frustrations. Um, so I just wanted to let you know that you're in my thoughts. And, you know, hopefully somebody in, in the JFA or something will make it right. And you get the promotion that you feel you deserve. And, and I've said this before. I Somebody who's been in judo for a long time, they know... When they are getting stonewalled, whether it's by the organization or by their own sensei, or they know that they really don't deserve it. Now, there there are some kooks out there that think they there should be a black belt when they really only have yellow belt skills. I mean, I, I saw some guy several months ago in jiu-jitsu promote himself to brown belt, which, which was kind of comical. But I think this fellow knows that he has showed on skills. He's probably had that skill set for a long time. I know that he would represent judo very well, not only in his club and in his country, but throughout the world. 
he probably has what it takes to be a showdown. And it's it's really a shame that there are organizations out there that basically they have policies in place that tell you in not so many words, if you're a beginner adult, you don't matter. And I think there's something wrong with that. And I think, you know, going back to, you know, my friends that have left judo for jujitsu, I think if you, if I were to ask them, they may have that, that same sense that if you visit a club and there's a lot of teenage or, or young adult high level competitors, you basically don't matter nearly as much as those competitors. And I, and I think that's a shame because you know what? 99.999% of those competitors will never make it to the Olympics. So if you're never going to make it to the Olympics and never make it to Worlds, then why are recreational judoka treated like second-class citizens, especially adult recreational judoka? I think it's wrong. So again, Bozo78, I feel bad for you. I'm very sorry for your injury, and uh, I hope you get better. That's, you know, and I'm sure many people out on Reddit feel the same way. So my hat's off to you. Hope you get better. For those of you who may not know, I'm a regular poster on on Reddit now. My handle is D underscore Rome. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, it's at La Vida Judoka. The show email is show at gmail.com. Now, I've received some some email over over uh, the past couple of uh, or the past week, and I'm very grateful for for the input from the listeners and, and, and people who just send me information, tidbits, things like that, whether it's through Twitter or or email or or Facebook messages. I really I really love interacting with with all the listeners that are out there. So keep the emails coming. I'm still waiting for those those voice memos. Who's going to be the one that breaks the ice? I want to know. I would love to get a voice memo from somebody, play it and and react to it even if you want to insult me to no end. You'll you'll get on the show. Doesn't matter. As long as you send me something just record it on your phone and send it to me as an attachment in an email and I'll be sure to mix it into the podcast and and we all have a great time with that. So I would love to hear from you more, from you guys more often and uh, just keep them coming. Facebook, email, Twitter, Reddit, you want to reach out to me, you freaks out there, I know who you are. So anyway, with that, I thank you for checking out the podcast again. I see... I'm getting more and more listeners each and every week, and I I thank you for checking it out. I hope everything's going well with you guys. I hope you have a great week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. I'm out.